Heavenly Father, this morning as our hearts hurt for what's happening in Ukraine and Poland and Russia and all that area, may you um, encourage them, but also challenge us today too, God. Help us to be moved out of our comfort zone into a place that binds us and brings us together. Just bless us now as we hear your words in Jesus' name. Amen. In our world right now, it is hard to find togetherness. Everything's splintered, everything's divided, everything's split apart, and it's frustrating. Racial, political, covidal, it's terrible. All of it doesn't matter. It splits us apart. But Wednesday night this last week, I found togetherness in a wonderful way. I'd been looking forward to this invitation for a long time. The Terrico fam family invited my family to come over to their house for dinner. If you don't know the Terracoves, here they are, there they are. What a good looking family. You've got Dimitri, Oksana is the mom. You have Daria in the middle, Peter in the Levi's shirt, Ivan on the left, and Camilla on the right. They're a fantastic family, Russian family here in our church. They live about a quarter mile down the street from us. My boys go over to their house all the time and their kids come over to my house all the time. In fact, I've been looking forward to this meal date because my boys had told me how good of a cook Oksana is. They've gone to her house and they came back and they said, man, that was good. And we said, well, what'd you eat? And they said, well, they fed us soup. And I thought, what nine-year-old boy likes soup? Must be something good. And I also know that Oksana has been selling these beautiful cakes over at uh, Norma's, the little cafe there in the conference office. And so I was prepared. I was ready for something good. So we arrive, rang the doorbell. The entire family comes to welcome us into their home. There was no, oh, I'm sorry I didn't have a chance to clean this over here, or oh, this is out of place. It didn't matter because we were family. They invited us in, we gathered around the table, we talked, we laughed, the food was served, and we ate some good food. And I know you're probably hungry because it's like 12.20, this will make it a little worse. <laughs> we, we were looking at the food, and, and like, if you've ever been to somebody's house that you don't know the, the culture well, and you don't know what you're going to eat, you're a little timid. And so um, Oksana said, um, we're going to have some, uh, well, how do I say this? Let me look at, uh, some borscht. Do you know what borscht is? Yeah. Whoa, look at you culturally. Uh, your palates are very diverse. Well done. She said, well, you like some borscht. And I didn't know what that was. And so I was instantly afraid. And uh, so, you know, when you go to someone's house and you're, you're kind of timid on what they're going to eat, you, you say, yeah, I'll have just a little bit. That'd be fine. And then you can test it. And if it's, if it's not great, you just kind of wolf it down and it's gone. But she, she started to scoop my bowl. It's, it's this like vegetable soup. And, and she, she pours a scoop in and then another scoop and my eyes are getting bigger and it's to the brim and she hands it to me and I'm panicking inside thinking, what if, what's going to happen? We sit down and I eat this borscht for the first time. It's the most amazing soup you've ever had in your life. Oh, I, I licked the bowl clean. It was so good. We, uh, we also had something called plov, not plov. That's, that's what I thought it was, but somebody helped me out. Plov. It's like this rice yellow rice. It is so delicious. And we had fresh veggies. We had some cooked veggies. We had fresh, hot, homemade bread come out. Oh, it was so good. Oh, and the desserts. Oh, Oksana brings out this platter 
and it's got one of every different kind of these little miniature cakes. Some are strawberry, some are chocolate, some are tiramisu. Oh, just delicious. It was like a sampler platter. We each cut little pieces off and we ate them all. It was wonderful. Two families around one table being together again, just like we were one family. Laughing, talking, smiling, having a wonderful time together. I mean, we got so close that I said, I kind of would like to learn some Russian words. And instantly I looked at the kids and, and said, well, can you teach, teach me some Russian bad words? They didn't, just so you know, even though y'all wish that they had. But they did teach me a few. So for my Russian friends out there this morning, Привет, как дела? Я вас люблю. I don't know what I said either, so it's all good. <laughs> Togetherness is such an incredible part of life, and it's one of our greatest values here in our church. You see it. In fact, when we moved here, this church gobbled us up, scooped us in, pulled us into not just the church family, but your families too. I can't tell you how many people, people's houses I've been over to to eat meals or just go on a bike ride or just go have fun with other church members because we're a part of this church together. And you know it's a value too because I can read it because you told me so in that survey that we just sent out not too long ago. Pretty powerful stuff. Here's what you said about togetherness in our church. You said... We are a family, friendly and welcoming. I love it. Some of you said, uh, we are good at inclusivity. I read that word probably a hundred times in that survey. Inclusive. I love it. Somebody says, we are good at being inviting to a large mass of people. And this church is a large mass of people. So that's good. And while I love to hear how people uh, are excited about friendly and welcoming, we still have work to do, church. Because there's some of this stuff, too, in that survey. Here's what it said. Here's one person says, The church feels fairly cliquish with a lot of longtime members, and it feels like if you don't have the history and know the right people, then you're left out. We can do better. Here's another one. Because the church is so big, sometimes people who are new feel left out. So we need to pay extra attention to people. Amen. Let's do more of that. And then when I asked you um, ways that our church could grow in togetherness, here's what you said. We need to increase activities and connectedness that include the whole church, such as the tailgate picnic or the church retreat at Kalakwa. That's coming up in a couple weeks. Somebody said this one. I like this one. It's my favorite one. We need to bring the whole church together, maybe quarterly, for potlucks. Amen, anyone? Yes, maybe we can have some borscht and some plove there. That would be good. Maybe Oksana can make a little platter of those cakes for you guys too. In fact, the warehouse is, oh, it's lots of progress is being made on it. In fact, it's supposed to be done uh, April, which means like July. But let's shoot for that date down the road. And let's have a big potluck on that first Sabbath when it's done where we can be together again. So I asked you this question. What does togetherness look like? And here's what you said. Togetherness looks like a group hug. Oh, unless you're an introvert and don't like to be touched, and that sounds awful. <laughs> Some of you said, togetherness looks like moving forward in one heaven-bound direction. I like that. Let's go that way. Um, here's, somebody says, fellowship and time and sharing and meals and love. All good words. This person says, we are stronger together. 
And it's obvious in this big church that we have a desire to be close and together even in a small way. And you know what? Togetherness is one of the building blocks of living as a disciple, and it's biblical. In fact, if you've got your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue one in the pew in front of you, and you can follow along on page 851. Hebrews is a little hard to find. You can see how far in the Bible it is. It's way at the end of the Bible. In fact, we don't even know who the author is. We don't know. You can have some guesses. Like if you look at the writing style, it's super complicated Greek and it's, it's nasty run-on sentences over and over and over and over again that go for verses and verses and verses. We're gonna read one of those today. It's the same kind of writing that you find in all of all the other uh, letters that Paul wrote. So you have a clue there. Another clue is when the biblical canon, so the books of the Bible, when they were put together, all of Paul's writings are put together and Hebrews is at the end of it. So there's another hint. I'm just gonna go ahead and say that Paul wrote Hebrews. And as he's writing, he gives lots of good information and he points to Jesus as the priest and the king. And in chapter 10, Paul paints this picture of what happens with sin and sinners. He looks backwards into the Old Testament to see a picture of when sinners would take a lamb, a perfect lamb, they'd bring it to the sanctuary, they'd place their hands on the lamb, they'd confess their sins, they'd kill the lamb because blood has to be shed because of sin. And this was the problem. Over and over, again and again and again, because humanity is a sinful humanity, more lambs would come, more sinners would come over and over again until Jesus. The sanctuary has always been a shadow of the real sanctuary in heaven, and all those lambs have always been a shadow of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Peter, or Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, he says these words. He says, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Well, I only heard one amen. Let me say that again. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Amen. This is the best news ever. I mean, this is the, this is the beauty of God's grace. So I, how often do we feel like we're unforgivable or like we just continually live in this cycle of sin over and over again forever and ever and ever, yet Jesus came once and for all. He obliterated sin forever, and he says, my grace is sufficient. See, there was a lady this last week. She sat on the couch in my office. I sat across from her and I began talking to her. She had asked to be rebaptized. And so I said, Let, let's meet up. I want to hear your story. So she came in and she sat down on the couch across from me. And, and we, as we were talking, I said, Tell me your story. And she said, Well, I got baptized when I was 17 years old. And I thought, Man, what a cool thing that she was 17 and got baptized. So often, we'll, you know, we have baptisms of kids in fourth or fifth grade, or we'll have adults, but a 17-year-old, that's someone that knows what they're doing and understands, and they've made that commitment, and it's, it's beautiful. She said, a few years after I was baptized, I got pregnant, and I wasn't married. And she said, I've carried that guilt for my entire life. She said, my husband died not too long ago, and the man that, I was, uh, that comforted me, I fell in love with, and to, to be honest, Pastor Matt, this is embarrassing, but, but we've done things that don't honor God. 
and I think I need to be rebaptized to cleanse, cleanse myself. And we talked about that, and it gave me an opportunity to tell her about the grace of God, whose grace is so much greater than any sin you could ever have, whose grace doesn't run out, who his grace is more than sufficient, and when our sin increases, his grace increases all the more. And as we talked, you could see the weight and the burden of guilt lift off her shoulders because she understood that the gift of Jesus is once and for all, and it even includes future sin. His death is what gives us access to life and life eternal. And Paul begins to connect the dots between sinners and a savior and togetherness in this passage here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 understanding all that context that we just talked about, here's what he says. This is the longest run-on sentence you've ever read in your life, so just pay attention. Here we go. Paul says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And now that is a mouthful. One sentence, come on, Paul. Have you never heard of a period and spaces and a capital letter? Even a semicolon would be better. Come on, bud. That's a lot to unpack there. He basically says that because of Jesus, we have confidence in our access to God because Jesus bridged the gap over sin. That's amazing to me. And he gives us this word picture. It's this picture of a curtain or a veil. And I feel confident that he's talking about the veil between the holy place and the most holy place. You know the sanctuary, right? If you don't know the sanctuary, come talk to me afterwards and I'll give you a brief synopsis of it. In the sanctuary, there's two, the Old Testament sanctuary, there were two apartments. You had the holy place and the most holy place. This side of the curtain, that side of the curtain. On this side of the curtain in the, in the holy place, you had the priest. He'd go in there all the time. Every day he'd go in there and he'd make sure all the candles were still burning on the seven-branched candlestick. And he'd go over to the table of incense and he'd make sure the incense is burning. And he'd go over to the table of showbread and make sure there's fresh bread on there. But the whole, most holy place? No, you can't go in there. God's presence is in there. On this side of the curtain, on this side of the veil, is the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant, the, the mercy seat of God sits, this wooden box that's plated with gold where there's two angel cherubim whose wings touch above the top of the seat and above where the Shekinah glory of God resides. No man goes in there. It's holy God's presence there. No one would go in there except for one day a year, the Day of Atonement. It's the day when the priest would go and cleanse the sanctuary. I can't imagine the stress and pressure that this priest would be under. He'd wake up and realize it's this day, and you better believe he started his day on his knees, cleansing his heart, cleaning his, pouring his heart out, confessing sin. He'd get washed and clean. He'd put on his robe, and at the bottom of his robe, there'd be these pomegranates and these uh, bells that would jingle and jangle as he would move. And he'd prepare for this ceremony, and he would enter from the holy place into the most holy place with a string tied around his ankle that ran back out underneath the veil, underneath the curtain. 
And the people on the inside, the, the people on the holy place, they would, they would hold on to that string and they would be listening. They would be listening for if this man, this pure leader, religious leader, if he wasn't pure, he would die in the presence of God and they would have to pull him out by that string attached to his ankle. What a day, what a deal to be in the presence of God. Only one man could go in there. Only one man had access and everyone else did not have access. Man, access is such an important thing. If you can't have access, you can't get in. When I was at Southern Adventist University as a sophomore, I was a, an RA, a resident assistant. They wanted me to be a full RA, but that sounds ridiculous because you're locked in the dorm every single night and I had a girlfriend, so I'm not gonna be locked in the dorm. So I decided to be a sub-RA, which means you do the RA job once or twice a week, and then you do the late night check, which is at like 2 a.m., but it was worth it. I already had two other jobs, so I didn't need more work. And the best part of my job was the day that they handed me the key card. This key card was power. This key card was full, unrestricted access to every door in Talge Hall. It makes you walk a little more confidently, makes your swag a little bit bigger because you have full access to anything. You get locked out of your room, I got you, bro, because I have full access. In fact, my room was on the second floor all the way at the end, and there was a door at the very end of the hall that no one knew what was behind the door. It was like a mysterious door that led to nowhere. Chris, you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. Second floor, you get to the end of the hallway, there's the door, and I distinctly remember the first night that I had this key card, full access, my roommate and I said, we're about to find out what's on the other side of that door. Will the key card work? We stood there quietly, it's probably 11 o'clock at night, not a lot of movement. The card goes in, and when I pulled it out, the smile on our face got huge because that little yellow light had turned green, which means we had access. Opened the door, and you might not think this is a big deal, but it led to the rooftop of one of the dean's houses. And while I know you're hoping for a, a mischievous story about how I shot fireworks in there or something, nothing happened like that. But because we had access, we could go out there and we would go out there because we could to breathe in the fresh air and just to soak up the power that we had with this key. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they had full, complete access to God. One-on-one, -on -one. the Bible talks about how they walked with God. I mean, just think about that. Just community, togetherness, you and the God of the universe. They had it, but sin happens and all of humanity suffers because of sin. And because of sin, we couldn't get to God except for a sacrifice until Jesus comes. Until Jesus is that sacrifice and now we have full, complete, unrestricted access. And Paul says, because of Jesus, you now have access to God. Full, complete access. He goes on, verse 23, he says this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. He's saying salvation comes through Jesus. He promised it. You have complete access to it. It's a promise. You've got salvation. And I think this is God now. Human promises, they come and go. They're sometimes, they're maybe, they're ah, hopefully. This is God who promises this. And when God gives a promise, you can count on it because that's who he is. He's a promise keeper. We finally get to the part about togetherness in verse 24. Here's what it says. And let us consider 
how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching, that day when Jesus comes back. Togetherness, Paul says, don't forsake the togetherness. Uh, spur one another along. And I love how Paul talks because he gives us this uh, word picture, and I'm a very visual guy, so pictures make sense to me. He uses a Greek word. It's this parakuno. It's the Greek word for spurring one another along. It's a verb, but if you translate it from Greek, the literal translations are these, and they're all they all seem kind of negative. Spurring one another along. Here's here's some of the definitions. To cut close alongside. No thank you. I don't want to be spurred along if you're going to cut along my side. Here's another one. To incite. Guys, we use the word incite when we talk about riots. That's a negative. Here's another one. Uh, To jab someone and to stimulate their feelings. Come on, man. Paul, are you kidding me? You couldn't find another word? It's all negative stuff. And I know why he's negative. It's because this is the picture of what uh, of what uh, spurs look like. You ever seen spurs? I mean, look at that bad boy. A spur is what clips onto the back of a cowboy or cowgirl's boots. And you got this rotating wheel of death on the end there. And if the horse doesn't go where you need it to go, you jab him in the side and, and, and incite some feelings into this horse. But I don't think this is really what Paul's talking about when he says spur one another along. See, the, the English Standard Version says to stir up. The New Living Translation says to motivate. The New American, same, uh, New American Standard Bible says to stimulate. NIV says to spur one another along. I think the spurs that Paul is talking about are these spurs right here. I had to get these from a friend. In fact, I texted my friend Macy Otati yesterday. I love Macy. I think she's a, an incredible young lady, and it's cool to watch how God is moving in her life, and I believe God's going to do some incredible things through her in big, powerful ways. And I texted Macy, and I said, hey, Macy, you've got a horse, or you, you're into horses. Do you have any spurs? And she said, she's texting, she said, I think so. Let me, let me go check. I didn't realize this, but she's actually, she was actually in class yesterday morning, and so she, she probably got in trouble because she's texting the pastor. She texts her mom. She says, Mom, do we have any spurs? And so there's this like uh, passing of messages back and forth. And finally, I go over to the, the Otati's house, Wendy and David Otati's house, and, and, and I get these spurs. You see these spurs? Maybe you can zoom in on these bad boys uh, this way. Yeah. Can you see that? You see the edge there? That's not a rotating wheel of death. It's just a little, it's just a little scalloped edge there. Just a nice little gentle edge. See, when Paul talks about spurring one another along, I don't think he's talking about jabbing the wheel of death into someone's side. I think he's talking about a, a nice, curved, gentle, motivating nudge that says, hey, let's move along. This kind of spur reminds me of a cowboy that isn't angry, that says, ride faster, come on. This is the kind of cowboy that puts his arm around his horse and says, hey, horsey, horsey, horsey. You're a good horsey, horsey, horsey. You don't know this, horsey, but you were made to run. And I want you to run. Let's run together. You and me together, I'll be with you every step of the way, horsey. Let's go together. 
Paul says, spur one another along like this. And I feel like there's so much rich application for the church when I look at these spurs, when I think about spurring one another along. I can barely handle it. Paul says, look, you disciples in the Forest Lake Seventh-day Adventist Church, you're called to live a life that is spurred on to love and good deeds. That's what the life of a disciple looks like. It's one that is overflowing with love and good deeds. It's a light that shines in the darkness. It's a life that shouts freedom because you've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. It's a life that is a light that people see your good works and they praise your Father in heaven. That's the calling, that's the purpose of a disciple. That's what a disciple looks like and that's what a church on the move looks like. But what happens to a church when Satan disrupts the entire world with a global pandemic. I'll tell you what happens because I've seen it. Togetherness gets destroyed. You've watched it in the church. You've seen togetherness get destroyed over masks and vaccines and you name it. <laughs> this is funny. Uh, I've sat on, in so many meetings in this church, in other places around that we've discussed and fought through masks. Um, not too long ago, I was with a, a meeting of a bunch of people and we were very much divided. We were not together, we were divided, not about masks, but about the policy and protocol on which to determine if we should wear masks or not. Good job, Satan, you did it again. Togetherness destroyed. Togetherness has been destroyed also as you look around the room not today, FLA's having alumni weekend, so there's a lot of people missing. But as you think about those that have been sitting next to you that are not anymore, and togetherness has been destroyed in so many ways, yet Paul's words challenge me this morning as he says, spur one another along, don't forsake being together because that's the power in the church. The Bible says that, that not even the gates of hell can stand against the church. That's because we move and breathe on God's mission together. There's too many of us. You can't stop this. And this morning, before we gaze into the future, I have a strong appeal for togetherness that is very specific to three different groups. Now, it may feel uncomfortable to you, but I don't think I care because Paul is speaking to my heart and I know, I know he'll speak to yours too. The first group that I really want to speak to is the group that is worshiping online right now. I'm just zeroed in on you for now. Uh, There's lots of you that are worshiping. And it, this is why we spend so much money on our live stream team. We've got volunteers out the wazoo trying to help. We've got cameras, lights. It's all so that you can worship us too. And I know that COVID has really been tough on you that are maybe watching from home right now. Some of you probably have such complications in your, in your own body that if you came out and you got COVID, you would die because of the complications that you would have. And if that's you that you're watching right now, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the others, the singles and the couples and the families that may be watching now. And I know this could be very awkward in your living room right now. But Paul talks about a group of people that may have stumbled into a habit of not meeting together. And I know what it's like to worship virtually, and it's nice a lot of times. In fact, when COVID came and everything was virtual, uh, I got the best Sabbaths of my life because they weren't work Sabbaths, it was just Sabbaths with my family. 
But if that's the habit that you've created or have stumbled into, we miss you. And we aren't complete without you. We aren't together unless you're here too. There's another group of people that I want to speak to this morning and encourage and spur along in a little bit. And it's those of you that if this is you, you are here today because of this. It's the group of people that have been hurt. Church is made of humans. Humans are sinners. And if you spend enough time with humans, you will get hurt. And I know there's probably some this morning that have been hurt from a bunch of different things. Maybe you've walked in the doors of our church and someone's given you a side eye glance that made you feel like you weren't invited, like you weren't welcome. Maybe somebody said something to you that that hurt you. Maybe somebody did something. Maybe it was a pastor that did something or didn't do something to you and it hurt you. Listen, we aren't together unless you're here. We're not complete unless you are a part of the church. The last group, is everybody else. I would say it's the biggest group of people. It's you here, maybe watching online, maybe in person too. Have you put your spurs on yet? Paul doesn't just chastise people that have uh, given up on meeting together. He appeals straight to the hearts of the people that are here. It says, put your spurs on. Have, have, who's missing? When you look around, who are the names that come to mind? Do you know their names? The families, the singles, the the, the couples, who are they? See, there's a moment that could happen today that only you can do, and it's when you put those spurs on, the gentle spurs, and you send them a text message, or you send them a phone call, or you send them a fruit basket for whatever it's worth. Send them something and say, we love you, we miss you, we aren't complete without you. Put your spurs on today. Church, this morning, as I look into the beyond, as I dream forward, I see our church physically and emotionally together, putting differences aside as we move forward on God's mission. As I look into the beyond, I see our church on God's mission, moving forward out into the community, showing Jesus' love in practical ways together. If I could look into the beyond, I would see our church continuing to endeavor to be the warmest and most welcoming church in town. And as we move forward together, we'll keep looking for that day that's coming soon where we get to stand face to face and sing praises about who God is together.